I am Monty Heath, IT1, or actually, I guess it would be SO1 in today's standards, SO1 Heath, and you are listening to today's Boondoggle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to, uh, our Anchor Sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our bitshoot channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors if you uh, support our sponsor dream nutrition you can receive 10 percent off your order by using the promo code boondog10 at checkout so dream nutrition they're a veteran owned and operated company as well so please support them and receive 10 percent off using the promo code boondog10 thanks for your time and thanks for listening Thank you for tuning into this week's edition of today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated entertainment cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news, entertainment information and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for tuning into the show here at Domain Cleveland. What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's Boondoggle. And uh, a mutual friend of ours, Mr. Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show, uh, connected me with this gentleman right here, uh, Mr. Military Mike Madsen. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. How about you? Good, good. Uh, you were educating me a little bit before we went on the air <laughs> and all the, the stuff I need to get hip to and caught up on in this in this world. Um but uh, um, usually when I have a, a vet on for the first time, I like to ask them a, a series of questions about their time, time in, and, you know, go back to their childhood and stuff a little bit. All right. but, you know, um, originally, what did you want to be when you grew up? Man, I wanted to be an astronaut. Nice. Every, everybody in my family knows it. Everybody I can tell. I, I wanted to be an astronaut. I, and now I, they come out with Space Force, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I even tried out. Uh, I was even interviewed by NASA uh, when I was uh, I was a helicopter pilot in the Army, and uh, they had a uh, a chief warrant officer program. It was uh, basically like a mission load specialist program. But uh, unfortunately, my uh, graduate level education wouldn't have carried me far enough. Uh, it by the time, yeah, you have to be 
kind of got to like have your PhD at a certain age so that yeah. NASA feels like they can get enough years out of you. So, oh yeah, uh, I, I wasn't going to meet that. So I was crushed. I just had to be exceptionally good looking and <laughs> in, 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 instinctively smart instead, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Good on you. And when, what age was it when you knew uh, that you wanted to serve your country? Uh, well, uh, wow. This is kind of a bad part of my story, I guess. Um, my father, uh, my stepfather who, who actually raised me, uh, he died, uh, in 1976 from complications with artificial kidneys. And, uh, my poor mother, God rest her soul. She was, uh, she had to raise three hellions that, uh, I call my two brothers. Uh, she, uh, she was a U.S. marshal and, uh, she became a criminal lit litigator. She went to uh, law school. She, she completed her education, went to John Marshall Law School in Atlanta, passed the bar, became a criminal litigator. And, uh, and on an offshoot case, uh, she was representing a guy who was going through an extremely difficult uh, custody battle. And uh, they had, uh, you know, I guess she, she did the, she crossed the line there, I guess. And they started dating and she was still representing him. They went to pick up his children for the weekend and they were ambushed and she was shot and killed in uh, Gwinnett County in uh, 1980. So I had just turned 15. Uh, so I guess uh, December 13th, I figured out I'd, I was probably going to end up joining the military instead of becoming an attorney or becoming an astronaut. So I uh, signed up at 17 and uh, went in went in immediately after graduating high school. OK, great. And then. Uh... And then what uh, branch did you end up going into? I went in the Army. Uh, I spent uh, 28 years in the Army. Uh, but I was Army active duty, Army Reserve, and Army National Guard at one time. So wow. I, I jumped around quite a bit. Got a whole bunch of MOSs. Uh, did some really crazy stuff. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I was the guy who never said no. There wasn't any school or every time they asked for a volunteer, I was the first guy to raise my hand. Wow. Yeah. No wonder Chris wanted to get us connected. Um, and then uh, what were so, I mean, although 28 years, it's got to be quite a, quite a few. I don't know if you'll be able to narrow it down, but what's some of the oddest, oddest things that you witnessed? I, I guess they wouldn't be with all that time. They would be like every day, but some of the oddest <laughs> things that you witnessed or experienced in the military compared to what you wouldn't see in the civilian world. Oh, uh, well, I was, uh, I, after I graduated, uh, JFK special warfare, I was awaiting assignment and, uh, I got picked to be a bodyguard for a two-star general, uh, major general Albert Akers. And, uh, he was, he was no man. He was, hell, he was in his late mid, mid to late sixties at the time he wrote training manuals, but ironically enough, he was getting death threats. So, uh, back then they didn't have, you know, any specific PSDs or anything like that. They just, they just assigned a high-speed, low-drag kid to, to protect him. And then we had a Spec 5 driver uh, named Ed Sherman. And uh, it, was, uh, it was the most incredible assignment uh, out of all my years. I spent two and a half years every day of my life uh, waking him up and putting him to bed. And uh, it's, uh, it's a true meaning of the word service. It really is because oh, yeah. uh, he, he didn't have any kids uh, that he would like to talk about. So he always called me son, and and I took that to heart. So not only was I doing my job, I felt like I was protecting my father. 
absolutely crazy stuff, man. Just, uh, you know, the, the guy disappears on you because we, we used to love to go to air shows and uh, you're sitting there protecting him and you turn around and he's gone because he <laughs> wanted to go see the FB 111 or something like that at Shaw Air Force Base. Or so, a snow uh, cone or something. <laughs> yeah, man. He, it was really crazy. Uh, when uh, when he retired, uh, he called he called his primary and secondary staff in and he said, if you want my name on any type of recommendation for assignments or schools or anything, you got to tell me right now because I'm retiring. Uh, me and a lieutenant friend of mine, uh, Bob Chip, he uh, he looked at me and goes, hey, man, let's go fly helicopters. So I went, OK. Uh, so I didn't know that they split pilots up, you know. So when I got there, I obviously I had to go the warrant officer route and uh, Bob went the, the real live officer route. And uh, so I spent a year down at Fort Rucker and uh, I came out with uh, five aircraft transitions with a primary aircraft transition and AH-1s. I flew Cobras. So uh, really cool, man. Got to, got to travel around the world. Got to go to, I lived in Germany for three years. Uh, shoot, you know, after, after flying for a living, you know, of course the Army has a way of ruining it, but uh, <laughs> after flying AH-1 okay. for a living, it's, it's really, really hard to, you know, and if they're going to let me fly the space shuttle, I don't know what's going to be able to top that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, during your entire time, what would you say, where was the worst place without breaking OPSEC? Like, where was the worst place? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. <laughs> beyond, a, beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, I don't know how your your viewers or what your standards are, but there's a there's a, very low. Yeah, <laughs> good for them. Uh, I like them already. Uh, no, the uh, there's a there's a saying in uh, in Derry or Pashtu. Really, it, it, they didn't really speak much Pashtu where I was. It was mainly Derry, but there was a saying that said Kabul was the place that God put all the rocks he didn't want. Uh, place was place was horrible, man. It was terrible, and and I've been to some shitholes of the world. And let me tell you something, Afghan. Uh, Afghan people were beautiful. They're great. They're the friendliest people. They took care of us. Uh, I helped my interpreter uh, come through the U.S. Embassy in 2012, and uh, his family has gotten uh, citizenship. He lives here in the United States now, and they're all growing up safe. But, man, I tell you what, that that is the most corrupt, disgusting, nasty place that you could ever possibly want to be. It took uh, being there for a year. It probably took five years to get the smell out of my nose hairs. Place was ridiculous, man. I bet. And then what was, uh, where would you say was one of the best places? Oh, buddy, I was on a NATO air base in Giebelstadt, Germany. Uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I was fluent in German before I went. And uh, uh, at the time, uh, she was my girlfriend. Uh, she was living with me, uh, ended up. We got married and we had three kids and uh, two grandkids. We've been divorced now for a couple of years, but, uh, but uh, yeah, Germany was uh, magnificent, man. I loved it. I, if I can literally, uh, it, it's very difficult uh, when you're my age, I'm 57. Uh, so if I want to live somewhere abroad and, and I don't work, I don't, I don't create any taxation. Uh, they won't give you the citizenship. So, uh, but if I could live in Germany or Sicily, Italy, I'd, I'd, that's where I'd retire for good. Gotcha. Um, and what would, would you say is one of your like pet peeves that you have with, uh, 
civilian since transitioning out of the military? Uh, well, uh, my biggest uh, pet peeve, and this, believe it or not, this one's pretty simple, is I absolutely despise when they refer to anything other than combat as being like being in war or being in combat. Or if they tell me, and, and I realize that post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is a, a medical term, and it doesn't just isolate to veterans. But I just, I, I've got a real, real, real distaste for when somebody says, oh, this job was so bad, it was like being in combat. And it's like, buddy, you just don't know. You just don't know. I, I was lucky enough to do a nationally syndicated documentary called Charlie Foxtrot on the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder and the VA's inability to, to handle the overwhelming situation. And uh, one of my lines from the documentary was, have you ever been scared? Have you ever been so scared that you can feel your heartbeat in your throat? Imagine that for about two years, every second. And that's, uh, that's so that's what it was really like, you know? And uh, so when civilians kind of compare their, their situations to being in combat, yeah, Gets the, gets the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I'm going to uh, have to hit you up to for a, a link or whatever to that documentary. I'd like to definitely sure, check that sure. out. Because, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we definitely uh, are, are tracking on that for sure. Um, and then what is something that you will always carry with you from your time of service? Uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, the camaraderie. Uh, especially now, I'd, I pretty much have dedicated my life to working for veterans. Uh, I'm a veteran service officer at my American Legion post. Uh, I run a veteran-based company called the Foxhole Internet Radio Network. I work with homeless veterans uh, at night and, and obviously during the week. I'm a vice president for a nonprofit out of Birmingham, Alabama called the Valkyrie Initiative that does free medical alternative therapies for veterans and first responders. So I think the thing that I hold near and dear to my heart is the camaraderie. And we don't look at each other for uh, the color of our skin. We don't look at each other as, not that I know any real rich veterans, but we don't look at each other as, you know, you're, you're successful because you're financially uh, well-to-do. Uh, I think that if we could replace that in our communities throughout the country, we would be such a better place because... I think veterans, we look at each other for one, there's an immediate acceptance because we all raised our hand and we, we have that DNA, that warrior DNA, because none of us had any interpretation of being rich or popular or, you know, having any notoriety. Mm -hmm. So we, that selfless act is the initial portion of our camaraderie. It's something that gives us acceptance. The next thing is, is that regardless of who we are, I don't think that we, we would ever leave a comrade fallen on the battlefield. So in my case, they're injured or they're homeless. So they haven't necessarily fallen. They've just, you know, they, they've missed a step or lost some traction. So I think there's a, a responsibility there. And uh, that goes along with the camaraderie. And it's immediate. There's, there's no qualification for it. We've already done it by obtaining the status veteran. Yeah, wow. It's uh, good stuff to know. I'm going to definitely want to track back to that uh, that Valkyrie uh, alternative medicine program you mentioned. That'd be um, great. That'd be great. But um, 
you know, what, what's one of the funniest stories that you feel you can share from your time in service? <laughs> uh, let's see. Funny stories. Um, gosh, let's see. Uh, one, one, of, one of the ones that I, I probably was the most nervous about was as, as a young soldier, uh, you know, we all carried the little brick radios, the Motorola's and whatnot. And uh, while I was on duty as a bodyguard, I got a call and we used to ironically call him Eagle One, the general. And uh, we got a call that Eagle One was in distress. Eagle One was in distress. And I, I got back on the radio and I said, negative, negative. Eagle, Eagle One is in the nest. I, I got him here with me. And they're like, no, Mrs. Eagle One. And I went, oh, no. So this is so long ago that we used to drive the lime green reliant K's. Okay. That's how long ago this was. Uh, so I go, I go in and make sure he's safe and explain to him, I've got to leave the, the perimeter for a moment. Uh, apparently something's wrong with his wife. And he said, my wife, she's out walking. And I said, sir, I'll be right back. Stay here. I told the adjutant, don't let him leave. We don't know what this is all about. And I tore off into the, the housing of, of, of the fort. And, uh, <laughs> She had, uh, she had a little poodle, a little dog, and she was walking it, and I guess it got off the leash, and one of the enlisted members' kids shot it with a BB gun and killed it. Oh, no. So I show up, and I'm like, you know, the MPs are there, and they're like, hey, man, we got, we got a real problem. And I'm like, what's going on? And they go, they shot the general's dog. And I'm like, oh, man, you, I mean, you guys had me believing you know, she was dead or something like that. And he goes, I said, but she's right there. What's up? And he goes, well, it wasn't so much that the kid shot her dog. It's one of my MPs picked the dog up and threw it in the dumpster. Oh, no. <laughs> the general's wife was trying to kill this spec four, man. The MP, she was smacking on him and slapping him. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's not those situations. Look, i uh, I got blown up in Afghanistan or I was, I was right outside our, by where our wall was and an ID went off, took out my hearing and it damaged my eye and everything. And, you know, we, we laugh, you know, that nervous laugh about that stuff, but uh, it's, it's a stupid story of the general trying to beat up one of the, the junior MPs because he just heartlessly picked up her poodle, dead poodle and threw it in the trash. I was going to say, how many careers ended that day? Oh yeah, man. I, I imagine that went all the way up the chain to the provost marshal there. Oh, I bet. I bet. And it's funny. I, I had somebody speaking of the crazy stories. I had uh, one of my most recent uh, guests who is a army veteran told me about hearing some, I forget what base she was on, but uh, hearing some strange noises in the dumpster when they were walking back from PT or whatever, and uh, <laughs> caught two people having sex in the, in the garbage <laughs> dumpster. So maybe they were next to the poodle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I was working with a group and we we're at JRTC and the, uh, you know, you're all inside like a fake fob, you know, and it's got a big berm. And then on the other side of the berm are the buildings where the uh, the trainers and, and the observers uh, meet up and all that other stuff. And we, we got a report of some noises from one of our roving guards and uh, the sergeant major, he went over there and when he tried to open up the door, because there's some scruffing going on. He tried to open up the door and the door closed. He pulled it back open and it pulled back closed. Uh, there are two younger enlisted folks in there uh, swapping body fluids, I guess. So uh, I guess it happens, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, dumpster diving, though. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs>
So you mentioned, you know, uh, some of the, you know, with that documentary, you know, with, we, we know there's uh, some issues with our, with our VA system. Some things have improved over time, but some things still need a lot of work. Um, and working as a, a, as a VSO, I'm sure, you know, you've experienced some things. Uh, what's one of your like worst experiences that you've had at the VA? Uh, well, personally, uh, my story started, um, I, I, like I said, I was, uh, I was outside, uh, in, in Camp Phoenix and there was a, a minivan that exploded and, uh, I was standing by what we refer to as our gym, you know, and, uh, the blast got me on the left side and, and really damaged my hearing. So, uh, before you deploy, uh, you take a, a hearing test as part of your medical screening for a baseline. Uh, obviously we didn't really have like a, a hospital on our, our little camp there. Uh, so I waited till I got back and, uh, knowing that my, my ear was damaged. So, um, when I got back, uh, they tested my hearing. They said, Hey, you lost a hearing in your left ear. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Uh, they said, tell your unit when you get back. I, so I told my unit when I got back, they sent me for a hearing test. Hey, you lost a hearing in your left ear. I'm like, no, no way, no shit. All right. So uh, then I had three more hearing tests with the VA. So now I have a total of six hearing tests. They issue me a hearing aid. They match it to my hair color. And every month I'm receiving a box of batteries. And the audiologist, she asked me, she said, have you filed a claim yet? And I said, no. And she said, you should. And I said, okay. So I filed a claim. It was denied. <laughs> Six hearing tests, five of them showed almost complete loss in my left ear. They issue me the hearing aid and they send me batteries on a monthly basis, but yet they still denied my claim. Was there any, uh, you know, documentation while, while in country? Yeah. Yeah. Tons of it. Yeah, tons, all right. of it. tons of it. Uh, even, I even had a video cause we have closed circuit TV. I even had a video of the IED when it went off. Uh, wow. so as a, that's when I really said, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this and, and I'm going to help other veterans, you know, especially as I'm, I retired in 2014. So, uh, I said, I, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And so I started studying up and then obviously just pursuing my own claim. But, uh, I, I can tell you this across the board. There's, there's two things that I feel are very important that I should tell people. And one is, a lot of guys that I run across say they don't they don't want any of that entitlement. They're not they're not looking for that. And I understand that. But what you have to understand is that the federal government subsidizes the VA. So when we complain about the VA not having this and not having that, well, one of the reasons is, is that they don't have the money to do that. And for all the guys that are saying, I'm not going to sign up and do my enrollment or eligibility. That means the VA doesn't know how many people are out there. Now, they have a general idea of how many veterans are out there, but they don't have a general idea of how many veterans are going to be in need of their services. And so that's very important. So I tell every veteran, sign up, do your enrollment and do your eligibility. If you don't ever want to pursue it past that, fine, but at least help guys like me. Yeah. Because that's going to better my treatment. If you don't think you need any treatment, help me out. Sign up. The next thing is, is that VM, VAMC, the medical care, people that wear the, the lab coats and the scrubs, they might be part of the VA and compensation and pension. <coughs> they might be part of the VA too. 
They might have the same letterhead, but they don't talk to each other. Yeah. The claim process is what bridges that gap. And I'll give you an example uh, there, too. I have a, a, a gentleman who's 82 years old. He actually loaded the Agent Orange onto the aircraft. That was his job in Vietnam. He, he retired. Uh, he was in from 61 to 81, 20 years. Then he, he served the State Department for another 20 years. And since then, his body has been absolutely riddled in different legions, cancers, uh, topographical issues. Uh, his body is riddled with all different types of, 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 you know, tumors and things of that nature to the point now where he's 82 years old and uh, he's bedridden and has lost the use of his legs. His wife, who is also a veteran, who's 80 years old, had contacted me. And her only request was, is there any way that somebody from the Legion could come help load him into the Ford Explorer that they have so he could go for his doctor's appointments? I don't know that there's any more selfless act on the planet than serving our country. But to serve our country and then to come back and suffer in pain your entire life is unacceptable. And uh, so I've done everything in my power to help them. He's now at 100%. He receives more money now than he does from his retirements. Because you got to remember, 1961 to 1981, uh, you know, us soldiers, we weren't getting paid a whole lot of money. And uh, so the retirement on that is, it barely pays my food bill for the month. Retirement from the State Department was a little bit better because he had a GS rating. Well, now he gets 100%. He gets aid in attendance, which not only means his wife receives some money for taking care of him, but they also have a, a nurse that comes by and, and, and does things on a daily basis. We established a, a, a ramp in his home and got him a motorized wheelchair, but unfortunately he's, he's lost a, that you know those functionalities as well. But uh, at least his house has been adapted now for a wheelchair so that his wife can get him around a little easier. And then uh, on top of that, I've already had the discussion with her so that all of this being service connected is yeah. when when the time comes. And it uh, looks like I froze up here. Yeah. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can still right, hear well, you. I'll keep talking. I have no idea why I froze up. Uh, so... Um, He'll, you know, the, the day that he does pass, I'll be able to get with her and uh, get her paperwork submitted so that she'll be able to continue to receive her portion of the survivor benefits. Not to mention yeah. the American Legion will provide an honor guard. The Patriot Riders will uh, escort him to his final place of resting. And on top of that, uh, you know, the, the folded flag and any of the burial expenses and all that other stuff will be taken care of, easing her mind. Uh, about what she'll do for the remainder of her life. So, and I do apologize. I have no idea what's wrong with my camera. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to try something really quick. See if I can add you back and see if that makes a difference. Mike, can you hear me? I can. Okay. I don't know what's going on. Mike, uh, nothing <laughs> here, I'll try. I'll try my camera. Yeah. But other than that, uh, so as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively passionate <laughs> about yeah. all the stuff that goes on as far as with veterans. 
Uh, I mean, what you guys do, I, I, I was uh, lucky enough to have a, uh, my chief in my unit before I got deployed It was as, as a VSO. He's retired now. But, I mean, he gave me a heads up. He's like, if you stub your toe over there, get it documented and bring it back absolutely. to me. You know? Absolutely. And, and he gave me, he told me the same rundown that you said too, like, uh, you know, every year, you know, Congress allots so much money towards the VA and the, all the guys that don't want to go in because they, oh, give it to somebody that deserves it more or whatever their reasoning, they're actually hurting people, you know, the guys that need it by not signing up. So absolutely. I definitely it, it, encourage that as well. I, I, I don't understand it. Uh, wow, that's the OBS logo that we were just talking about. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, hopefully uh, uh, get your uh, camera functioning, but uh, we'll just keep going on. Okay, it like seems to be working on my end. I can bring up the camera, so maybe... Yeah, it looks reload. like... The, let me see. Because um, I, I really don't have any control over camera, uh, your camera over here. It seems to be like... Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Okay, don't know. here, I'm going to try to stop it and start. Hey, hey baby. baby, this is this Double, Double D, D, also known as Dream Daddy. And I got to tell y'all something about our new sponsorship here at today's Boondoggle. And the name is Dream Nutrition. So if you're looking to empower your human vitality, well, then you come to the right place. With over 12 years of combined experience in cannabinoids and terpene products, Dream Nutrition products include CBD oils, patches, proteins, and so much more. The endocannabinoid system is believed to have involvement in regulating physiological and cognitive processes, including the immune system, appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and in mediating the pharmacological effects of cannabis. Support this veteran-owned and operated company today, and today's Boondoggle fans will receive 10% off their orders when using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. That's B-O-O-N-D-O-G-10 at checkout. So go to the link. That's dreamnutrition.com forward slash discount forward slash BOONDOG10. And remember, dream is not spelled like dream daddy. It's spelled D-R-E-E-M. And start saving today because you deserve to feel your best. And you know that's right. So tell them Dream Daddy and your friends from today's Boondog sent you. No, doesn't look like it. All right. Well, I guess we'll uh, see. <laughs> you jinxed us by telling everybody how good looking you are. You know, that's now, it. Can't see you. My ratings were going to go up, and now they're, they're gone. yeah, I know. it's it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, getting back to our, uh, you know, our, our conversation here, um, what is one of your greatest hopes for the country that you've been willing to give your life for? Uh, one of the greatest hopes. Well, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of a realist. Uh, I, I like to think of myself as a, a realist that, that looks at, um, I, I like to think I'm smart enough to look at both ends of the problem. So uh, I do study politics. Uh, I am uh, what I would refer to as obviously right of center. Uh, I am a conservative. I like to think of myself as a, a, a constitutionalist. I love reading the document and I love, I believe in the document yeah. as much as I am with my spiritual life, as far as believing in, in the words of the Bible. So what I'd like to see is that overwhelming miracle of us stop. We, we have to put down our petty disagreements. Uh, Amen. You know, it, it, it's like I, I watch <clears throat> every day. I watch two to three hours of the news, but I watch it from all over the world. Uh, so it's I get both sides of the <coughs> aisle. All right. Uh, I, I have my own personal beliefs, which I've stated are, are right of center. And uh, but I try to understand what what the left side is saying. So what concerns me the most that I'd like to see is the United States not fall so far into corruption to fall so far into bureaucracy that we become what other countries I've visited have become, Uh, you know, corruption corruption originates in bureaucracy because like, uh, I don't know if uh, you've ever, I don't know if you're married or you've ever dated girls or anything like that, but you know, I've dated some girls that just never seemed like they could tell the truth. Yeah. And, and from there, things always got worse. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was one of those guys back in the day that couldn't tell the truth. And that's why I'm a single dad. Yeah. You well, know? you know, so uh, learning on my know, journey. It, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, there obviously the election process was tainted. Uh, I don't, you know, you, you can't cite or quote any specific thing because no matter what instance I say, someone can always come back and go, oh, well, you got that from Fox News or you got that from One American News. It's not true. So I agree, yeah, you know, yeah. it, you, we could fight this back and forth uh, all day long for, for months and months and months. But what the end result is, is that our election process has become tainted, which means really, really good people that are important and their vote that's very important are not going to vote anymore because Mm -hmm. they're going to think that it doesn't count. Once we all become islands, then we honestly become like people live in the Middle East and in Southwest Asia. Everything that you own, you build a wall around it and you protect it. If anybody violates that wall, then you uh, you violently protect it. You attack them, and that's no way to live. And uh, you can see it now. Uh, believe it or not, you can see it with gated communities. I live outside of Atlanta, and uh, gated communities are starting to become more and more prevalent. And it's kind of like every time you build a wall now, it's like you're almost telling people we have something of value inside. Uh, and that just creates more problems. People start breaking the gate. People start hopping the wall. So uh, I think where the United States is different is that uh, just like after 9-11, there was a flag on every every house. There yeah. was a, a, a new, re- a, you know, a new renewal of patriotism. I think uh, the only way we're going to get back to that is 
more than likely with Republican administrations that ease the government control. Um, it's probably way more political than you wanted to get, but I, no, I always right. I always pick on the education, uh, yeah. and and I don't understand uh, I don't understand why there's so many levels of educational administration. It's certainly not to decide on the curriculum that we're teaching our children, because we've obviously seen in the last year that's a joke. Uh, yeah. So after you have an assistant teacher, a teacher's assistant, a teacher an assistant principal, a principal, and let's say, uh, you know, a superintendent, and then maybe somebody at state level, shouldn't there just be like maybe one more person at federal just to represent education in the cabinet? There are these huge unions that people make millions of dollars, but they don't provide anything for our children. Nope. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the same thing in retail. Any retail operation that has eight, nine levels of management between the assistant manager and the CEO is doomed to fail because you're paying so many people to make decisions, but they're not revenue generating decisions. They're just paperwork, their administration, their reports. Um, and unfortunately, that's what our government has become. It's, it's in a quagmire of its own bureaucracy. Yeah. Damn. And now, you know, now it's all whether you're, you know, if you're a liberal or a conservative. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I don't even know what my dad, my mom and dad voted. I don't have yeah, a clue. Nobody's, you know, they didn't. There's really nobody's business but theirs. I right. know I was raised vote for the best, the person that has the best interest, you know, of our country and, sure. you know, kind of resonates with your personal values. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, uh and that's I've 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 carried that with me, and I know that you know us serving was so people would you know be able to do the same you know right here in the right. states. And then I've been you know, and then you know after I got out, I worked for uh, a couple fields where I was in the unions, and not knocking unions, but I just saw a lot of you know. This is how we're going to vote. This is the slate they'd hand it out to you. And, and all my brother, oh, okay, okay. You know, like, no, man, I'm doing my own research and I'm going to vote <laughs> right. for who I feel is best. Yeah, absolutely. Do, you know, that's that's why people give their lives so we can have that opportunity, you know? Absolutely. That, so. That's why I never make a good politician because there's absolutely, I'm not going to get elected by the people to vote the way the party is telling me to vote. That doesn't make sense. Exactly. I, I would I would honestly vote according to the majority of the people because that's what a, a democracy is built on. So, yeah. Um, and then uh, you know you talked about a little bit about that documentary and everything, but uh, one of the questions I normally ask is, you know, what what you feel we can do to break the stigma of mental health and PTS in the uh, armed forces. Well, I think uh, I think. When, when I was a young soldier, there used to be a, an advertisement, a commercial on TV that said eight out of 10 employers are looking for what we teach in the military. Um, you know, I never got a job when I brought that up because <laughs> they'd look at me and go, well, what did they teach you in the military? Well, I can kill a man from 1,200 yards. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying is, you know, I, I know how to choke a guy out. Uh, I know, how to, you know. Uh, so that that never worked. Um, unfortunately, now what's going on is it's like uh, 
PTSD is like an immediately uh, immediate disqualifier. If if you were to divulge, let's say, um, you know, you were to divulge to you're a, a police officer and you were to, to divulge to your chain of command in law enforcement that you were being treated for post-traumatic stress disorder, they would they would probably find a way to get you off the force. Uh, the thing about post-traumatic stress disorder is it it's exactly what the title is, post-traumatic. It's a stress disorder. So it can be numerous things. I'll give you an example, a personal example. My post-traumatic stress disorder isn't based on the blood and guts and broken bodies that <coughs> I saw. My uh, my PTSD is is rooted in uh, severe depression. And one of the reasons was, is that a lot of the jobs that I had in the military, I was required to take people into harm's way. And though it's high speed, low drag when you're doing it, uh, when you get to be a little bit older and you live by yourself and the only real companions you have are two pit bulls, uh, you have a lot of time to think about that. And there's a lot of times that I took unnecessary risk and I took unnecessary risk with other people's lives. Yeah. And it was all for the completion of the mission. We, we used to have something that was called the mission accomplishment concept. And basically that was, I don't give a shit. We're going to get it done. And uh, so if anybody said, Ooh, I'm sick. Okay. Stay here. Uh, if anybody said we can't do this, we'd say, stay here. If anybody said you can't do it that way, I'd say the hell I can't. So if you take all that into consideration um, and, and try to make sure that the civilian populace understands that post-traumatic stress disorder doesn't mean that the first time fireworks go off, hell, I, I love fireworks, you know, yeah. uh, the first and time I know they're coming. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I, the first time fireworks go off, uh, you know, I'm not going to jump underneath the car and start shooting people in the ankles with my pistol. Um, you know, I can, I still carry a pistol. I have a concealed weapons permit. Uh, I meet all the criteria. I'm not doing it illegally. Um, so it's, it's kind of like one of those things. Uh, you know, there was a study that was done on homeless veterans years ago that uh, from the American uh, Medical Association that said that uh, people that were homeless were suffering from diseases. And uh, they've since had to recant that. Uh, I think the same thing goes along with post-traumatic stress disorder, though it may be in some cases uh, debilitating. Uh, the, the veteran may need constant care, may need heavy medication, may need continuous therapy. Uh, but that's probably a, a very small percentage. The rest of us, it can be controlled. Uh, I avoid triggers. I, uh, I'm very lightly medicated. Uh, it took a couple of different prescriptions to find that match. And yeah. then once we did find the match, we had to find the dosage. Uh, I've been through basically two shrinks in the, the years that I've been going to therapy. Uh, one was a 30 plus year veteran at the VA and she was fantastic. Unfortunately, she retired. And now the one that I have basically just checks the blocks every month. How are you, Mr. Manson? I'm fine. How are you? Uh, that's the majority of the conversation. She doesn't even look for, up from her computer. But in the same boat, I have a therapist that I talk to every two weeks, and he's fantastic. He's not even a veteran, but 
he doesn't try to play that. He doesn't try to play that. Oh, I understand what you're going through. Cause as we discussed earlier, that'll just piss me off. Yeah. Uh, he, he never tries that. He, he actually gives me things to work on based on the things that we discuss. So, uh, though I've never seen the man in person, it's all been video, uh, which I think is, is an, an attestment to his skills. Uh, he's 20, probably 20, 25 years, my junior as well. Uh, so he's a young man. Um, but you know what? The stuff he says makes sense. And the things that he gives me to work on, uh, you know, he doesn't browbeat me uh, if I don't do them. Uh, that's one of the problems with depression for a veteran is the failure yeah. to launch, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the things that I do work on and I do see progress in, I'm thankful for it. I'm just not the guy that can do group therapy, you know. Uh, if I do group therapy, I have a tendency to be the center of attention and try to take over and, you know, start trying to help the counselor and crap like that, which yeah. doesn't help me. Uh, so the one-on-one therapy every two weeks with a therapist and uh, the right medication, right dosage seems to be working pretty good right now. Yeah. You said a lot that I connected with there too. Um, you know, at, for the group therapy part, I, I uh, it's the opposite for me. I compare myself out of the room, you know, mm-hmm. I always think, well, well, mine's not, you know, mine's not as bad as this guy. So I'm just being a pussy or something like that, you know? Right. And, right. and uh, you know, some of the stuff that I, uh, that gets me is not really, I mean, I get some occasional depression, but it's more like hypervigilance and anxiety, you know, like really bad anxiety, just, you know, feel like the bottom's about to fall out all of a sudden. And I'm with family at a, you know, family function or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it's, uh, and, you know, and then with the people, that it's hard to kind of explain that to people don't get it. You put on the fake smile and the face, and the face but it feels like you uh, just finished running a marathon the way your heart's racing in your chest, you know? Sure. And, um, but uh, part of what I've done for my therapy, and I've, I unfortunately didn't have it as good where I, you know, kept the same therapist for so long because I was firing therapist from the VA left and right until I found the right one. I found the right one right before the pandemic. And then they overworked her and ran her out. Yeah. And then now I kind of, you know, I, I, I go outside and I've done this alternative health journey. That's why the, the Valkyrie uh, thing that you mentioned, I definitely want to get, get back to, but really quick um, part of my therapy in, in helping myself with my anxiety and uh, being a part of, just average normal living again is doing this podcast, talking to people, absolutely, people on and yeah. learning to have conversations again. You know, I, I, um, I just celebrated 13 years of sobriety. You know, I, oh, I congratulations. Had, I was I self medicated for a number of years. You know, and um, so, I, but I'm still looking for that right. You know, I guess pharmaceutical. So it sounds like you found the right thing but what i found that has definitely helped on my journey is the alternative uh path and trying things outside the box i've done float tanks you know isolation chambers i've right. done you know cryo uh hyperbarics uh you know all kind of uh, hypnotherapy was really huge for me because there was something at 19 years old a, a death i witnessed uh, on the aircraft carrier that i compartmentalized and buried for so long that we had to go in there 
and bring it back up so we could we yeah you got to dig in the roots to to treat you know a lot of this stuff sometimes Absolutely. to really fit, uh get healing but uh you know I wanted to ask like more about that that Valkyrie program that you mentioned like what exactly is it and um you know what options are there that you find for veterans that are like alternative Right. Uh, the Valkyrie Initiative was founded by a woman who's uh, just now finishing up her doctorate, uh, Sheila Stevens. And um, she was, uh, believe it or not, her, her tale is, is one that really shows a tremendous amount of courage. Uh, she had worked for a government organization, and you may want to have her on the show and she can go into more detail. But uh, she was basically, uh, for a nutshell or just paraphrase, she was working in, let's say, Bogota, and she was undercover, and they figured out who she was, and they poisoned her. She ended up losing, basically, the use of her legs. Um, so she worked back through physical therapy <coughs> and treatment, but some of the chemicals are still in her body, believe it or not, so many years later. And um, she resides in uh, Birmingham or Pelham, Alabama, and she started the Valkyrie Initiative to help first responders and, uh, and veterans with alternative type treatments because she understood that one, law enforcement and whatnot have trouble going to regular facilities because, you know, they find out they're cops and all that other stuff. And then they want to report to their chain of command and, and stuff like that. Uh, veterans, she understood that the Veterans Administration just wasn't meeting the need. Yeah. Uh, she initially, uh, we started Valkyrie Radio for her and uh, she had she had done a couple music festivals and stuff like that, just trying to bring awareness to mm. these alternative treatments. But we've over the last year that I've been with her as the, the vice president, we've very, we've uh, narrowed it down to three basic alternative treatments. And one is called uh, Valkyrie performance O2. And basically what it is, is that, and, and these treatments are all free to veterans and first responders. Um, and, and basically what it does is it's like what at, uh, Olympic athletes go through. You wear like a small face mask type thing. And what it does is it captures oxygen and it like rejuvenates the oxygen molecules that are in your body that are attached to your blood. And it gives you just like 15 minute sessions are just like absolutely renewing. You come out of it feeling uh, just incredible. Uh, the next uh, thing that we use is what's called the ML830. It's a cold smart laser. And basically, the small panels are put onto wherever you need the treatment or wherever you're going through some form of re rehabilitation. So like, uh, I'll give you an example. I have really bad uh, bone spurs and plantar fasciitis. So what we do, I also broke my ankle and my leg on the left side at the same time. So what we do is we wrap the panels around my feet and around my ankles, and there's no stimulus. You feel absolutely nothing, but the laser pounds that area, and it speeds up recovery. Wow. Uh, so that we have people that have literally had where they couldn't unclench a fist, like arthritis or, or things of that nature, had caused their hand to kind of gnarl up. A couple of treatments, and when I mean a couple, I'm talking about two. Two treatments, they're get, almost regaining 100% range of motion and strength back in their hands. So it's uh, wow. it's a fantastic, very portable, and, uh, you know, like I said, all you got to do is schedule an appointment and go over. 
The next one is called the Beamer, and that's B-E-M-E-R. And it's basically, the best way to explain this is it's like a small, warm blanket. But what it does is it's transmitting a pulsated electromagnetic field. It does basically the same thing as a cold laser, but that's more direct into an area. This you can like lay on your legs. Now, this is something that NASA is actually involved in because obviously your muscles and bones go through a certain form of atrophy when you're in space because of the lack of gravity. So this is something that now is being used by Olympic as well as NFL and other major league competitors. And uh, you basically just lay on it or lay it on you. And here again, the, the sessions are only 15 and 20 minutes. There's no stimulus. It doesn't hurt. You don't know really that it's going on. But when you get done and you can stand up and that aching knee doesn't ache anymore, your quality of life increases tremendously. Oh, yeah. So uh, the last one, and I don't really refer to that as uh, is one of our three bona fide treatments, but we are a Live Lab uh, distributor. Now, Live Lab, if you're not familiar, and uh, it's it's gaining popularity. But uh, it's got all of the, uh, the products like, uh, I, and, and I have to apologize because I'm not 100% like up to speed on all of this stuff because I've tried uh, CBD oils, uh, but I, I don't know if it's because I'm a big fat guy now and it doesn't work its way down to my ankles or whatever. Yeah. But uh, Live Labs has a tremendous line of products that are in that category like THC's full spectrums and things like that, uh, even to, you know, skin like uh, conditioning and stuff like that. And I got to tell you, um, I had gotten a bottle uh, and it was uh, full spectrum. So I, and, and I, from what I understand, people that, you know, research this stuff understand that full spectrum, 20, 2,500 milligrams, whatever, is like a, a pretty heavy duty dose. And uh, I took a couple drops. Now, look, I'm not going to lie to you, and I don't think anybody cares. But uh, I used to smoke a lot of pot when I was a teenager. And uh, <laughs> so I took a whole syringe full, and uh, it gave me that same euphoric feeling. All right, so being the guy that I am, I wasn't comfortable, okay? Yeah. So uh, my youngest son, uh, who's 19, who, uh, he believe it or not, he works on the controllers for the gaming platforms. And then his older brother is an alpha tester doing the same thing. So my two sons actually grew up their whole lives going, Hey dad, I'm going to play video games for a living. Me going, yeah, sure you are. Now the little <laughs> bastards do. Uh, they literally play video games and, and test controllers as mechanical and design engineers, which is amazing. Uh, but my youngest one has a, a condition that's called sticky blood. His blood doesn't course through his body like it does for the rest of us. So he has all sorts of other problems that stem from that, basically like an early onset lupus type situation. I gave him uh, the drops and I asked him if he wanted to try them. He swears by them. The only time he uses them is when it's time for bed, because yeah. where you and I would relax and get in a quiet room and maybe have some music playing or, you know, relax to go to bed. His body doesn't do that because of the sticky blood. It's running at a constant slower rate almost all the time. So he doesn't, he doesn't, if he gets excited, it's like trying to pump molasses through his veins. 
if he gets depressed or something that would slow his heartbeat, it can be deadly. So yeah. by taking a couple drops of this, but he swears by live labs. He hasn't, uh, for years and years and years, he could never get time more than about two, three hours of sleep together. And now through this product, he can get eight hours of good medicinal sleep, wake up clear headed and ready for work the next day. Yeah. It sounds uh, similar to uh, one of uh, the sponsors I have for this show, um, <clears throat> dream nutrition. They, uh, they're veterans. It's a veteran owned and operated CBD oil company uh -huh. that I connected with a couple of years ago. And yeah, I know for me, you know, it takes that with that hyper vigilance and everything. When I, you know, when I first came home man, sleep was not really much of an option. I would get up, check the windows, check the doors. I don't know how many times my girls were really little at the time. So checking on them and, uh, you know, finally we got a, ended up getting a dog and he kind of helped like, all right, I got the watch and get a little bit of, you know, sleep, but it, it was more getting, getting something to help me relax, shut my brain down for a couple hours. And, you know, I'll play some like, uh, you know, meditative type music right. or something in the background. And that, uh, that, that's, that's still my routine today, you know? Right. Um, right. Cause you know, dealing with chronic pain and everything, it's tough, you know, it, it really is. Um, I, I had to stop. I, I have, I was up to 3,600 milligrams a day of gabapentin. No. I was taking Naxaprin, Zoloft and Seroquel. Uh, yeah. My, my gut was a, a, a nightmare. My gut was just a wreck. Uh, I complained about that to the VA. So they gave me Prilosec. Well, we once got I, another pill for you. you know? Yeah, we got another pill for you. Uh, so once you take the Prilosec, it actually reduces the effectiveness of the painkillers. So I could either suffer with a stomach and not have pain, or I could not suffer. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so I, I just stopped taking all of it. Not to mention the attorney I had looked it up and basically 3,600 milligrams of gabapentin a day was enough to bring down a horse. Um Apparently, like uh, anything over 2,700 milligrams is like extremely dangerous. But, uh, you know, it shut me up, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, they. I mean, that was one of the definitely one of the other things that I problems that I had with the VA after coming home is like everybody was prescribing you something and nobody was like checking what the other they weren't cross uh, whatever, you know, communicating to see, OK, well, what's the side effects of this? And I ended up having like a, an episode with, uh, and I had a little bit of TBI from my deployment, but you know, I had an episode where my, my, it dropped my blood pressure so much, this one medication they had me on and I got up and I walked to the bathroom and I'm taking a leak. And then all of a sudden I they let, next thing I know I'm on a gurney going to the hospital because I dropped, split my head open at get 17 staples in. And it was, it was ridiculous. So it's like, yeah, I've been over the course of time getting off the medication. It's like, I'm, I'm going to be either in pain trying to get better or I'm going to get in pain, you know, getting worse, you know, right, pain's just right. going to be a part of it. You know, I got fibromyalgia. I got diagnosed with that as well from over there. So the winters uh, here in Cleveland, the one we just had where it was hell, but thankfully things are starting to warm up and I've been getting more active and watching what I eat and getting, you know, I'm more, I'm more geared towards some, some natural 
remedies and alternatives than I am right. pharmaceutical. Yeah, we're uh, we're actually uh, right now. I'm in the process of writing grants, uh, one for the homeless program because it's extremely expensive to operate. But I'm also doing them for the Valkyrie Initiative so that we can open up another operation here outside of Atlanta. So our goal, obviously, in a perfect world and a great thing would be to have an office just about outside of every major city so that it can and, and it would be free of charge. That's that's probably yeah. the biggest thing. Uh, and it, it really doesn't I mean, in the in the scheme of things, you can run one of these operations for less than two hundred thousand dollars a year. But you can serve 600 <clears throat> plus veterans or at least have 600 appointments a year. Uh, whether it's the same veteran or multiple veterans. Um, and for that that little bit of money, um, when, you, when you look at uh, some of the nonprofits that have received money as emergency food and shelters or alternative medicines or different types of treatments, or uh, it, it's absolutely staggering how many of them are veteran-based, but in reality, less than 10% of them are active. Uh, you know, the, the VA gave I mean, literally a half a billion dollars away in 2019 to 288 nonprofits. But yet the homeless situation is still at crisis level. Yeah. Um, you know, the United Way gives away million dollar grants as emergency food and shelters to different locations. Um, there's one I'm not going to specifically say the name, but basically they have an amazing website. They take a, if you're homeless, you can contact them and they'll take your name and number and email address and they'll sign you up for some other programs. But, uh, oh. they're, they're, you know, you see what I'm saying is nobody's yeah. actually addressing the, the individual medical problems of the veterans. And I, I have a solution. I really do. Uh, or the homeless situation, the homeless situation is easy. Uh, believe it or not, it's, it's a mentoring system that before you ETS, expired time and service, that you have to sign up for and you've got to go to, and that's where the VA does their initial evaluation on you. Then when you leave the service, you're already in the system because one of the biggest deterrents to getting in the VA system is the enrollment process, going through all the nonsense uh, yeah. websites and all. The next thing is, is that to ensure that you have a list of resources. And I'm not talking about like military source one or something like that. I'm talking about a legitimate list of resources in your area. So you don't have to wait until you are homeless before you start looking for something. You don't have to wait till you're in the hospital having a breakdown before you realize you could have contacted. And, and they do have a 1-800 number, you know, press one. Um, there, there's things that are in place but the stigma that goes along with them is mm -hmm. what is, is stopping a lot of people from doing it. Uh, repairing the VA system, believe it or not, to me is simple because there's numerous, absolutely multiple military medical units in all branches. One of the, tr one of the training aspects for anybody that's um, in the medical field, they lack realistic training. And the reason being is it's as expensive as going to the range. When you tear open a gauze bandage in training, that gauze bandage can no longer be used. 
that yeah. gauze bandage is one of the most expensive training aids that isn't reusable. So how do we do that? We take all of the National Guard units that are medical trained and we start making their weekend drill and their two-week annual training where they work at the Veterans Administration Hospital. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The VA can't say no because we don't have the money because guess what? The guardsmen, the Air Force Reserves, the, you know, the state defense forces, they're already getting paid. Yep. So the VA can't say it's going to cost money. And let me tell you something. If I was ever admitted to a VA hospital and I saw somebody walk in that was in uniform, buddy, they'd have my respect. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. So I think that would do amazing. Now, the majority of the medical units that I've talked to, they would love this. They would absolutely love it. Oh, yeah. They could, they could even have a state-ran command that handles where these people go to. And, and when you have combat medics, uh, I spoke to one today that I'm going to be working on his uh, claim, his VA claim. He's been deployed like four times. You're not going to take him and put him in a parking lot and say, okay, we're going to train on Mass Cal. He's just going to look at you and say, buddy, I've seen Mass Cal, and this yeah. ain't it. You know, uh, so what do you do? You put that guy in the emergency triage. You put that guy in the freaking emergency room where he gets to see the blood and guts, where he's trained, where he's going to be able to keep his composure and use his expertise. I think it would be a great idea. And guess what? No, I, I don't agree. know about the Navy, but the Army has medical personnel that handle nothing but, get this, administrative duties. It's they, they have people that that's all they do all day long. Well, holy crap. You could take a whole group of those folks and put them in an office down at VA uh, Atlanta and let them type away all weekend. They'd love it. Yeah. Hell, uh, you know, it process some claims too. Yeah. What yeah. the hell's going on? Well, Stop it. How You're quick that would get done. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I've talked to, I've talked to the commissioner of a, uh, the veteran affairs here in Georgia. And I'm, I'm trying to get an appointment with the veteran, the commissioner of veterans affairs in Alabama and uh, to try to see if we can't pioneer some of these programs. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think two things would happen. Tell you the truth. I think the, the patients would be ecstatic and I think the oh, level yeah. of care would go up. The secret thing that would happen is the VA, the VA employees that are, let's say subpar, they would pick up the pace. Oh yeah. They would see that these people can replace them. Yep. I mean, I noticed that the past couple of years, I guess maybe uh, even during the past administration, it seemed like the law was being laid down. Like, look, you're not going to be protected just because of your, you know, union status, pick right. up the pace and take care of our guys, you know? Well, three, um, three big things have happened with the VA in the last couple of years. One, now they can get fired. Two, you can sue them for malpractice. And three, the bud, they used to get budgeted bonuses. A couple of years ago, they gave away over $100 million in bonuses. And it was based on productivity. So what, what do you think takes longer? Disapprove a claim, disapprove a claim, disapprove a claim. That yeah. you got to do a stamp it and move it along, 
or approve a claim and have to hand walk it to all the departments. So they were just stamping them, disapproved, 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 disapproved. And then, hey, look how much work I did at the end of the day. Uh, so all, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, has been addressed and, and, uh, has been shot down, you know? Yeah. There, you know, there's so much that, uh, I think we're going to be keeping in touch and talking offline here because, uh, I've got a couple projects up here in the Cleveland area that sound very similar and, uh, we're definitely going to, um, have to, uh, you know, I'm going to be bouncing some ideas off you and stuff. Um, but I wanted to ask you too about, uh, you know, you mentioned the Foxhole Internet Radio Station. Um, you've got these other shows and forms of broadcasting that you you're doing right now. Right. Um, what was some of the motivation for you behind these? And like, uh, did you always have like kind of a, like a love for broadcasting? Or, well, I'll I'll be honest with you. Uh, a long time ago. Uh, so, someone that said, you know, you've got a, a really good face for radio. <laughs> um, that's why your camera went out. That's, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, and then when I was uh, obviously a helicopter pilot, um, we had internal frequencies and we used to joke around and, and do little stupid stuff on there. Uh, I did uh, some, I used to do impersonations for armed forces radio. Um, so when I, I got out, uh, I was actually... Uh, a corporate secretary for a nonprofit. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name because it was all dissolved. Uh, but uh, I did an interview on an internet radio uh, morning show. And uh, the guys at the show, uh, it was called Just for Fun Radio. It's called The Morning Show. And uh, the, the guys were like, wow, you're really good at this. You know, if you ever want to come in and be a regular guest. So I started coming in. And then before long, I was a regular guest on the show. And then I started doing night shows of my own. I had the World According to Military Mike, and I had a, a show called Guns and Gadgets. And um, so I, I kept doing that, and then things just kind of progressed. Uh, the the owner of Just for Fun Radio, DJ Scotty, is, is still, he's like my brother. He's a great friend. Um, in fact, he only lives, uh, I'd probably say, five miles away from me. Uh, I kept pestering him, going, Hey man, let's expand this radio station. Let's expand this radio station. And he goes, look, man, I, I like being local. You know, he, he goes out and he, he DJs for uh, our American Legion. He DJs at car shows and, and things locally within our area. And his advertisers are all local. And he goes and visits them and does live broadcasts from those uh, locations, which is really cool, even though it's a global internet radio station. Well, I started the Foxhole Internet Radio Network to be the voice of the Foxhole Support Network, which was a nonprofit I was working with at the time, um, which uh, I'm not sure they, they've kind of dissolved as well uh, due to some personal issues that came up that they had to take care of. But um, so I took the Foxhole Internet Radio Network. We're, we're currently six radio stations. And uh, what I do now with it is. I attach a radio station to a nonprofit or to an organization that's veteran based like Valkyrie initiative has the Valkyrie radio. Uh, the one that we're currently working on is a huge RS vet radio syndicate. And uh, we've set up their radio station. We're setting up their membership platform uh, so that people can make monthly contributions that will help take care of uh, approximately 15 uh, with my new show coming out, not necessarily not the news, 
Uh, we should be like 16 weekly shows. Uh, we take those shows and we trans, uh, we, we rip the audio from them and put them on the radio station at different times so other people can listen. And then we turn those into audio podcast as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work involved, but the Vet Radio Syndicate has a, an enormous reach. Well into every 28 days, we're well over 30 million in reach. Wow. And, um, and, and it's growing. So uh, George Pardos is the man who runs that. Uh, and uh, he does a great job keeping control of all the knuckleheads veterans doing their podcasts and veteran shows and everything. Um, so that's really a good one. The next one that we have coming up is uh, Ranger Radio that will be associated with uh, uh, On Point One One, which is a Rangers Association from the U.S. Army Airborne Rangers. Um, and they'll have Ranger Radio and they'll have the same thing, a membership base. Uh, we've got Ra Operation Rally Point Radio. Uh, Operation Rally Point is a nonprofit in the Atlanta area that deals with homeless veterans. Uh, we've got the American Patriot Village Radio, which uh, is, belongs to the American Patriot Village, which is 72 acres up in the North Georgia mountains that has been allocated to build veteran base. It's a veteran base subcommunity. Uh, where the one acre lots, beautiful homes, and they help you get into it with an extended mortgage, like 38 years, so that your mortgage payment isn't that much. There's a, a central meeting location, and they're going to be doing podcasts and answering questions about VA and medical alternative treatments and whatnot. Um, that the community will also offer like non-emergency medical transportation uh, to the VA hospital and stuff. So, um, you know, we got a couple other ones that we're working on, a couple big ones. Um, we, uh, it, you know, it's it's moving at a very, very, very fast pace. Uh, I work seven days a week. Uh, this this month, uh, what I've already seen and uh, who's on the currently on the calendar, <clears throat> I'll have seen over 40 clients as a VSO. We have 20 plus uh, family, veteran families in our homeless program. Um, it's extremely expensive to operate. Uh, basically we're, we're between 27 and $30,000 a month right now, handling the 20 plus families. Uh, we're turning people away currently, uh, because we, we have no more financial resources. Uh, Operation Rally Point is turning people away. They're in their forties, taking care of 40 plus families. Um, it's a, it's a everyday grind, but I can't think of a more honorable, uh, you know, position in life. Uh, I, in, in the whole time I've been doing this, I receive, I have received not one penny. I, so it's obviously if anybody ever said, Oh, you're trying to become rich, I could always go, well, I live in a little bitty house. I have two pit bulls and I drive a 22 year old Jeep. So, uh, I dress like a hobo and, uh, the most expensive thing I have probably is my hello fresh delivery once a week for dinner. So I don't have to go out and eat all the time. Um, so it, it's one of those things It goes back to uh, uh, there's Patrick. a, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, an adherence to a code of honor amongst yeah. veterans. There's a camaraderie and an immediate acceptance. Uh, I don't care if you're a man, a woman, I don't care if you're black, white, Republican, liberal, uh, Muslim, Catholic, Christian, it doesn't matter. If you wore that uniform and you served our country, 
you're immediately my brother or my sister and you have my, you have my back. I have your back. And uh, though there are exceptions to the policy, more than often, you will find that immediate given respect back. Uh, There's some people that have specific issues that maybe the timing's not right, but for the most part, every veteran I deal with is extremely thankful that uh, they've got somebody like me in their corner. And uh, that's what helps me go to sleep every night. uh, Yeah. I'll tell you what, um, I, you know, the more I've been sober, the more I've been walking, you know, with, uh, uh, based towards faith and, uh, you know, working on my relationship with God, I, I see, uh, you know, people that are brought into my life and everybody's kind of like purpose of why they are put here. And, uh, one of mine, I, it seems to be, I'm, I'm always, great at people coming into my life and networking dumb with other people that have come into my life previously where this person can fulfill a need that this person has and just connecting people, you being a bridge. uh, And, and I'm grateful for that. And I definitely um, have quite a few people in mind that uh, I want to get you connected with. Um, One of the things you said too, about all the, the, podcasts and the, uh, uh, the, the shows and how many people you reach. Um, you know, as I said, this is therapy for me, but at the same, uh, time, you know, some of my goals is, um, you know, when I was deployed and I had some downtime, I wasn't always just like throwing on, uh, music or whatever on my headphones. I was listening to some podcasts. Some friends of mine were doing a podcast back home. It was around the advent of of podcasting and you know it would it was it would provide like an escape for me you know it provide right. a temporary reprieve and escape um f- from where i you know to forget about where i was at and what was going on you know of course i wasn't doing it during missions but at night you know when i yeah, do, yeah. you know and i want this podcast that i'm doing now to kind of help those same guys that are now deployed over there. And I, I love sure. to get an audience like that. I even, you know, had a buddy that was going to originally start this with me and um, hopefully I'll be able to get him back. Cause me and him together were like this comedic duo that played well and always would entertain our unit and stuff when, uh, yeah. when we got, That's rolling, a, you know, not necessarily the news. Uh, my, my co-host is Scott Machette. He's known as the Senate comedian. He, okay. uh, he used to be in the Senate up in Washington, D.C. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, so an extremely knowledgeable guy. Uh, plus, he's funny as hell. And uh, we've got another veteran from Brushfire Mine is our producer. And uh, so he does extremely good quality shows and whatnot. Uh, along with that, we we're, we do this program called Do a Set for a Vet, which is an online paid performance where we have performing artists donate a set of music mm. and, and we put it on this platform. And then of course the proceeds from that go to help the Valkyrie initiative. So, right. uh, you know, I often tell people cause they ask me about starting their own business, especially veterans. And I always go, well, uh, you know, whenever you're a member of any of our membership groups, we have a vendors list that you can join. It's free. Uh, and we advertise whatever, you know, discount or perk you want to offer to any of the members of that particular nonprofit or organization. And uh, I always tell them too, though, 
never market to veterans. Uh, <laughs> if you're if you're a veteran based business and your market plan is to market to veterans, well, you're you're not. <laughs> it's just not going to work, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're we're not wealthy people. Uh, you know, we don't we do something's wrong with our blood or our brain or something because. Uh, and now, look, I do know a couple of guys that have ran some and still running some extremely profitable businesses. And, and thank God. I mean, I think it's magnificent. Um, I don't think that I could ever be a rich or wealthy man for the simple reason is, is I, I look at other people and I see. Uh, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to say his name, but I was working with a veteran today and and he's he's homeless we got him in a hotel room. He's there with his wife and two kids, but it's not because he made a mistake. Like he's, I mean, I was, uh, I had a drug addiction. I had alcoholism in my life. Those, those were choices I made, you know, I, I, I wanted to drink instead of face my problems. Um, so he didn't make those mistakes. This guy has an injury that has affected his lower back and his hips. So he can't, he's only done, he was in the Navy. He's only done like hard manual labor his whole life, but he can't do it anymore. So someone offered to buy his house, one of these investment groups right now. They said, hey, we'll give you this much for your house. He's like, hell yeah, that's a lot more than I paid for it. So he did that. The problem is now he doesn't have another house to move into. Mm. And over the course of six months has spent Almost every oh, bit money. of that profit staying yeah. in extended stay hotels because every house his wife and him have picked out, he's lost in the cash battle, uh, the bidding war. Uh, and I'll, here I'll give you another personal example. I bought my house for $160,000 two years ago. I got an offer a month ago, sight unseen, for $230,000. That is wow. a $70,000 profit in two years. When I turned it down, the guy said, why would you turn it down? I said, even with the $70,000, there's no houses for me to move into. Yeah. There's nowhere for me to go. BlackRock owns them all. <laughs> yeah, you know, there are investment companies in Georgia now that are gobbling up houses. My uh, my daughter bought her house for ninety four thousand dollars ten years ago. She just sold it for three hundred and twenty thousand. Wow! She took almost every bit of that and put it into a house that was the same size, but newer. That was four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So the housing market has created, you know, baby boomers. They're they're downsizing. They don't need those big houses. So when they sell their houses, they're cash heavy. So yeah. when they see a house for $200,000, hell, they can just about pay for it. And ain't nobody, ain't nobody selling a house out there is going to say, oh, no, wait, I want to get it to a veteran and go through the VA loan process as opposed to just getting a check for $200,000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's a, it's a problem. And rent, I don't know about Cleveland, but rent here in Georgia uh, my mortgage, uh, to move into a one bedroom apartment, it would be twice what my mortgage payment is here. Wow. In a one bedroom apartment, 700 square feet is about $1,500, $1,600 right now in this area. 
if you have children and you need a two or three bedroom, it's over $2,000 a month rent. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Yeah. That's well, and here's, here's the other problem too, with that, just to give you some insight, if you're a single veteran like you and I are, and we're at a hundred percent, basically that's about $3,300. You can't qualify for a home that costs $225,000. One third, you see what I'm saying? You don't have the one third rule there. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to be able to afford one third of what your income is. And at a hundred percent, you won't qualify. Sounds yeah. pretty. Yeah. So, uh, and, and houses, housing prices, they'll come down eventually, but they're not going to come down much. No, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's a whole nother episode with the way everything's going <laughs> right now with, uh, inflation and everything out there. But, uh, but, um, Mike, yeah, we've been going at it a little over an hour now. Yep. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, get ready and wrap up here. Um, but I wanted to ask you some of the questions that I normally ask, uh, sure. Uh, all my guests that I have on usually, you know, I'm a big music guy. I've had a lot of musicians on and stuff. So, uh, I always ask like, who are your top three, uh, bands? Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones and uncle Ted, Ted Nugent. Nice. <laughs> and then do you feel there is a song? that has inspired you in life that's like a a go-to on your playlist whenever you uh absolutely uh i can only imagine by mercy me oh yeah that's that's beautiful yeah didn't they make a movie out of that song too they did indeed they did indeed i it uh i'm i'm very active in my church and uh I, I always tell them whenever the whenever the music folks are talking about let's do that song i'm like nope don't do it don't do it. I'll be in the back blubbering like a baby. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny too, because it was after my deployment, you know, my last deployment when I came home and kind of like, you know, a lot of factors played a, played a role where I kind of like hit my bottom, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you get, in, I started recovery and then I, I, you know, I was raised Catholic and stuff and, uh, you know, I, and, um, you know, there was a whole little thing that I went through where I had my come to Jesus moment and uh, got deployed and or after deployment and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I tell you what, man, it, it's just been an amazing journey where God ha- has led me, my relationship with him today. And I don't know how many of those songs, you know, I, cause I was coming from a heavy metal like background and world. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to make it in this Christian world. And then I got like bands <laughs> like skillet and red and everything that, help, help still give me that, you know, but, uh, I would start hearing so, and I'd have to pull over the side of the road and start blubbering like a baby man, because it's like, God is speaking through me right now through these songs and helping me on this, that telling me things are going to be all right. You you know, things are going to be all right. We have a Christian station called not all is lost. The, the acronym is nail. And, uh, it's, it's one of our most popular stations. Oh, nice. I like that. That, our, I like that, that. in our 80s station called Grady's, GR80. Grady's, man. People love 80s music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And then um, who are three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making you the person you are today? Oh, wow. Uh, probably one of the biggest ones uh, was my mother. Uh, she 
for the short term, the you know short short period of time that I had her, uh, she certainly instilled a lot of uh, honor and respect and and you know duty and and everything else in me. Uh, but I, I think I am the man who I am because of her. Uh, the next one is uh, I it's it's kind of a strange situation, but in the military, you have certain people that kind of uh, you know strike you as a mentor, you know. Yeah. And uh, there, there's one gentleman, and and right now he's he's unfortunately he just had back surgery, but uh, he's a former helicopter pilot as well. Uh, he's a he's good. He's a Baptist, but I'll overlook that. Um, <laughs> but he's uh, he's on the executive committee at the uh, at the American Legion that I'm the VSO at. Uh, his name is Ralph, and uh, he's 80 years old. And I bet you he can still run faster. And uh, I bet you his days are just as busy as mine, if not busier. And uh, whenever we get around each other, it's like we've known each other our whole lives. And, uh, you know, even my stupid jokes, uh, you know, I ask him, you know, what it was like flying a helicopter during the Civil War and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I heard he was on the USS Noah's Ark and junk like that, you know, and uh, we just bust up laughing, you know, but he's always got a, uh, a sagely portion of advice whenever we're in our the executive committees or even at the membership meetings. And, and I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, the third, I've, I've got to go to my go-to, uh, is going to be Jesus Christ. And, and Amen. one of the reasons, uh, that I say that is because I've studied, uh, I too was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, but for the majority of my adult life, I've been in what are referred to as Bible colleges or new Testament type churches. Um, so I've, I've actually studied quite a bit about the life of Jesus and, you know, there's so many misunderstandings and there's so many misquotes and, and stuff like that. And I think uh, there's a show now that most accurately to me represents his life. It's called The Chosen. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see any of the episodes, but, uh, yeah, but I think I've seen some of the uh, like uh, commercials or trailers. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's two seasons out. It's it's self-funded. Uh, it's it's not a high dollar budget, you know, uh, type thing. But uh, the guy that plays Jesus, I think he does an amazing job uh, because he's, you know, he's selfless, basically. And uh, he doesn't want to hear anybody's arguments because they're trivial. And on top of that, he's got a sense of humor. And uh, I think that's important because I just don't see Jesus Christ not having a sense of humor uh, <laughs> with all the stuff that happened in his short lifespan. So, um, you know, to follow somebody that that had went through all that, went through all those struggles. And uh, the, the main thing I tell people is uh, when as far as why I follow him is that it's not that sin wasn't ever presented to him. It's just that he didn't act upon it. And mm -hmm. that's that's the key right there. I think there's a reason why we say, let's do the right thing here. Do the right thing. Uh, instead of some other word. And that's because you have a decision. That moment of pause before you do something stupid is basically a spiritual moment. Because if you say, no, I'm not going to drink and drive. That's dumb. I'm going to get an Uber. I'm going to get somebody to drive. I think that's a spiritual moment. 
I think if you agree to do it, then you're letting the other guy into your life. Yeah. And uh, believe me, I, you know, for the longest time, I was I was that other guy. I, I used to tell mm-hmm. people, you know, seek the darkest corner of your mind. Those eyes that are peering back at your mind. I, I was a I was a horrible person. I was hateful. I was mean. I did a lot of bad things. Um, so so having someone like uh, Jesus to follow for me is uh, is so easy. Uh, I pray to him. I, I, I discuss things with him. Uh, he's always there. He's always consistent. Uh, the things I get, I know are his blessings. The thing I don't get are his blessings. Yeah. And I have honestly developed a relationship with him that when I absolutely positively need something, I can ask for it and I've always received it. So knowing that, I don't ask for things that I know I don't necessarily need. And that's a beautiful realization to have. Yeah, that is awesome. Like, wow, man. We're definitely going to be keeping in touch. Um, and then uh, here's a here's a favorite uh, question. It takes people uh, back quite a bit. Favorite toy as a child? Man, I had a helmet that was a space helmet that went all the way over your head and onto your shoulders. And it was yellow tinted. And it changed your voice to sound like you were on a radio. <laughs> nice. I used to run around the house telling my parents I was going to be an astronaut. But it was in that crazy voice that made you sound like a radio. <laughs> awesome. And then uh, any message that you have for our uh, brothers and sisters that are currently serving overseas? Absolutely. Absolutely. Understand that we're with you. Though we're not there presently, we'll support you. All you got to do is ask for stuff and you'll receive it. And the main thing is, is to rely not only on your your buddy, but rely on your God and mm-hmm. understand that no harm will come to you, but you can't be on the fence post. You're either in it or don't be in it. Amen. Mike, wow. Um Thank you so much for, for taking the time. Um, no problem. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And uh, like I said, we'll definitely be talking, uh, keeping in touch offline here. There's so many uh, things I had to, I had to write down and make a note because okay. uh, there's definitely, like I said, there's a, there's, there's some connections that, that yeah, great. need to be made for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're doing amazing stuff down there in Georgia. Uh, it sounds like, and, and, Re, and and across the your audience, you know, with, with oh yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. I too getting the message out. So man, I've I've I do VSO work for people in California, Alaska, uh, New York, everything now. It's uh, it's pretty amazing how how the word spread, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Awesome. Um, and then uh, before I let you go, one last favor. Uh, usually when I have a uh, a uh, you know, veteran on, I, you know, I always have my guests do like a promo ID for me, but when I have a veteran on, I usually have them, uh, introduce themselves at their last, uh, rank. Okay. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, like, you know, introduce yourself at your last rank and you're listening to today's boondoggle. All right. Hey, this is military Mike Madsen, chief warrant officer too. And today you're listening to the boondoggle podcast. Awesome. Mike. Thank you so much. No problem, man.
appreciate you, man. And, and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay, buddy. Talk to you later. too that was another thing you kept guys had the snorkel mask on you're going like this all of a sudden a beer would come in front of your face <laughs> well do you remember in honduras when you were snorkeling and you came up to me and i dropped my pants in front of you and you're, you're like <laughs> you're that's asshole. not a good thing to see <laughs> you remember that guy down like in honduras man like i thought hitters. he got attacked by a shark yeah. or something oh, the one that got hit by the skate skate he yeah, was Walking along, all of a sudden he's screaming, yelling, he's rolling around in the water, and we're like, "Shark!" Everybody's running out of the water. It's like even him. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey. And thank you for listening to another story time from the VFW Hall, brought to you by Today's Boondogger. Incarceration at the Ohio State Reformatory, July 15th through the 17th, with corn. Disturbed. Breaking Benjamin. Evanescence. Papa Roach. Lamb of God. Seether. Falling in Reverse. Three Days Grace. I Prevail. Black Label Society. And many more. All passes on sale now at incarceration.com. Thank you for listening once again to today's Boondoggle Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our website, DomainCLE.com or Today'sBoondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives. Follow us on social media at Today's Boondoggle on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter for more information about this podcast. And please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via today's boondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening.
Thank you for tuning into this week's Today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's Boondoggle.